Thank you. You may be seated. How is everyone doing today? We're good? It's great to be back. And for those who I haven't met yet, uh, uh, it's great to uh, see you here. And uh, if you've just joined the Mount Clear journey recently, then you're in for an exciting adventure. Um, and uh, I really honour and respect um, and love Andrew and Mel and, and their family and just appreciate the opportunity to come and spend some time just speaking into the heart of the church and uh, later on today some of the leaders and, and it's a great honour for me also to uh, travel with my boys. Um, generally I'm interstate or overseas and I thought today would be an awesome opportunity to just bring my boys with me and just hang out with dad and see what dad does. Um, but um, I just want to encourage you to uh, think about what legacy that you are sowing into the next generation. I really sense that the next generation is on God's heart for this house. And uh, whilst there may be at times uh, we want to see more uh, kids and young people in the life of the church, um, really youth ministry, kids ministry is everyone's responsibility uh, not just for those who are parents of children and um, young adults and teenagers. And I just really feel like God wants to um, elevate your awareness and understanding of legacy. What legacy are you building? Um, who are you raising up? Who are you discipling? Who are you mentoring and coaching? And, um, and I don't want to speak about that today, but, but I, 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 I know that's on God's heart for you. And I'm believing that God's going to raise some people up to actually carry that mantle and that purpose in the church um, because it's needed. It's necessary in this region, in this church. Um, God's heart, God has such, God's, God's got a heart for all of us. He, uh, he, the Father gave us His Son uh, because uh, God so loved the world. But there's something about the heart of children and the heart of young people that, that God is attracted to. And I just pray that, that, I just want to raise that flag and say, hey, we need to focus on that. We need to pray about that. So excited about your prayer nights on a Thursday night. Um, it'd be amazing, the amount of churches. I preach in churches of 10, 20,000 people, and I preach in churches of uh, 10, 20 people. And you'd be amazed that, that many churches don't have a prayer time, don't have a prayer night. And yet Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And, um, and so I just want to encourage you, make that part of the life of your church and just watch God break out. Well, let's pray, seeing I'm talking about prayer. And, uh, and let's get into it today. Father, we thank you so much for your presence here. I thank you, Lord, that you're here to heal and to restore and to transform and today, Father, I just uh, ask that you would come. And Lord, as I speak, fill us with a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Give us an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Thank you, Lord, for that fantastic and incredible reminder this morning that we have a common union with Christ. That, uh, Lord, we have access uh, into... Uh, right relationship with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And Lord, that invitation today is available to every single person in this room. And I pray right now, oh God, make us more aware of your presence. Fill us with your love. Come and teach us. Come Christ and come be the teacher. Come be the prophet today. And teach us your word. Add a new dimension and aspect to our faith and our walk with you. And Lord, we just pray that the name of Jesus in Mount Clear, Ballarat and beyond in this entire region would become more famous through this church, through the businesses and the families and the schools and, and the relationships that are represented in this room. And Father, we just honour you today. We thank you that you are here. God, come and move in power and in grace, we pray today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. I want to invite you to turn with me to James chapter 5. Thank you. James chap chapter 5, verse 13. I want to read about uh, something that James uh, is writing about that speaks to um, an issue that...
that's relevant for every single person in this room at least once in our life. And uh, there's been lots of misunderstanding around this. And, uh, and, and I just feel like God wants me to speak it because I believe he wants to add something to you as a house today. Uh, that will become a part of the, the, the main DNA of how you operate and how you function and work as a church together. James chapter 5 verse 13 says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up or them up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently, (coughs) excuse me, that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. I want to talk to you today about the partnership between prayer and healing. The partnership between prayer and healing. And part of the reason why I want to preach that today is because I believe that God wants healing to be more a part of the DNA of this house how you operate and what you do. There is an attack upon humanity today, an attack upon the church, attack upon uh, people full stop in the arena of physical health. God is committed to physical health and he wants to see us be healthy in body, mind and spirit. Now, uh, when I was a a little boy, uh, my dad's tongue developed a cancerous growth on it. And this was a problem because my dad was a preacher, he was a pastor, and the doctors said that they were going to have to cut out uh, a large portion of his tongue which would um, affect his speech and he wouldn't be able to uh, speak uh, normally like he had been able to. And so obviously this caused him a lot of uh, distraught and so uh, he, I remember he came to the church after the doctor's um, report and uh, my mom and I were there and he let us know Uh, what had happened and then he picked up his Bible, he walked to the front of the church and for the next five days, for several hours in that day, he would seek God, kneel at the altar of the platform and prophesy and pray healing over his body. At the end of those uh, five days, we noticed that there was a shift and a change in the growth that the texture and the look of it on his tongue. From that, he went back to the doctor because he had to be prepped for surgery. And the doctor looked at his tongue and said, it looks different. Let's just test it again before we take you into surgery. They tested it. And in fact, the report came back that it was no longer malignant, but it was benign. And that the cancer had completely gone from his tongue. Now, apart from, you know, having a little uh, party celebrating the goodness of God in my dad's life, it also had a huge impact upon my own heart to believe for signs and wonders and to discover and to believe and realize that we serve a God that is still in the business of miracles today. Not only that, but it showed me firsthand experience this relationship between prayer and healing. Now, Prayer must become our default response to sickness. Unfortunately, our default response to bad news and sickness in our life is anxiety. The doctor's report comes to us, we get anxious. The boss says they want to have a meeting with us and we're made redundant or we lose our job. It's anxiety. And, and, and because of our broken humanity, we, we sort of default to this anxious, fearful, worried response to life. But the Bible says uh, in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? How should you respond? With anxiety and with fear? No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you're suffering, if you're sick, pray. If you're cheerful, if something good is happening in your life, praise. 
In other words, whether you're up or whether you're down, whether you're sick or whether you're healthy, whether you're married or whether you're still single, whether you've got lots of money in the bank or haven't got much money at all, whether the church pews are filled with people or not at all, whether money's coming in or money's coming out, whatever state you find yourself in, prayer and praise must become our default response to life. Because what prayer and praise does, it unlocks our awareness of the goodness of God in our lives. You've got to understand something today. God is in a consistently good mood. Now, I know for some of you, that's like a shock. That's like a revelation to you. You mean that God's happy? That God is actually you know, consistently in a good mood. The Bible says in Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that God is good. It doesn't say taste and see that God is irritable. Taste and see that God is moody. Taste and see that God is angry. God never, you know, needs a Baraka to get him going in the morning or doesn't need a, a latte, to, the nectar of heaven, to just, you know, kickstart, you know, spiritual juices uh, into motion to try and help him be kind and generous towards us. God is in a consistently good mood. And the gospel is good news. It's not sour news. It's not bad news. It's not angry news. Some of us have this idea of God, that God is this judge up in the sky with a big stick that's constantly angry with humanity. And when you make a mistake or you do something that isn't perfect, he's just ready to whack you on the back, you know, on the backside. And, and, and sort of there's weeping and gnashing of teeth that's associated with our view of who God is. And I want to tell you, if you buy into that lie of the enemy, not only will it cause you to be separated, why would you want to hang out with a God that's consistently angry with you or that's moody or irritable? No one wants to hang out with someone, don't look left or right. No one wants to hang out with anyone that's consistently irritable, moody, up and down. But if you have that view of God, not only is it a, a, a faulty view of who God is, it robs you from your miracle. And, and the agenda of the enemy is to steal, kill, and destroy the goodness of God in your life. And one of the ways that he does that, the devil can't take the goodness of God out of the equation. What he can do, though, is so lies into our heart about who God is to cause us to take matters into our own hands. Hello, Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3. And he can actually bring us into a place of, of, of wrong thinking about who God is, which will change our approach towards God. And in the process, we'll still kill and destroy the agenda and purposes of the goodness of the kingdom of God in our lives. We, we've got to guard our hearts against a wrong view of who God is. Uh, it, it, a wrong view of who God is has taken more believers out. Just yesterday, I'm talking to someone who's backslidden uh, at my son's soccer game, attended church for years and was giving me all the justifications and reasons why they're no longer in church life and acknowledging that there are many, many people who grew up in church, attended church, now no longer does. And, and I just, as I was listening to him, I just, he bought into this wrong view of who God was. He got his eyes on the church and on people rather than kept them on the founder and perfecter of our faith, being Jesus himself. If you get your eyes on the things of this world, I'm preaching to somebody in this room right now. If you get your eyes on the things of this world and you get your eyes even on the church or get your eyes on a leader, as amazing as your leaders are, as amazing and a wonderful opportunity to honour and respect people, the ultimate focus has got to always be on Jesus. It's got to be, and any leader in the house, you know you've got a godly leader when they're constantly pointing to Jesus. What has happened all service today? Everyone who's got on this platform has just been constantly pointing to Jesus. And you know you're in a safe environment, a healthy environment, when Jesus is the one that's our focus, that's constantly lifted up to us. You see, God's goodness is not based on your circumstance. Stop filtering your view of who God is based upon how good or bad your circumstance is. 
Never bring the gospel down to your experience. Some of us interpret the gospel based upon our negative experience. But we are not called to do that. We're called to bring our experience up to the gospel. What does the gospel teach us? What, what is the example that Jesus gave us? What, what is it that God is calling us to through the letters of the New Testament? What is the testimony of the Acts 2 and beyond church? We've we got to bring our lives up to what the Bible teaches, not bring the Bible down to what our experience is. God is not the author of sickness in your life and he is not the author of suffering in your life. If he is, he's not a very good father. I mean, I've got my boys here today. If I, if I was constantly causing them weeping and gnashing of teeth and pain and suffering, that there, there would be relational problems. Their view, their understanding of who their dad is would, would cause all sorts of issues and complications in their heart. And sometimes many of us at times grow up in unhealthy environments where we get a faulty view of life and of our parents because of some of the challenges that we've gone through. But we serve a God. We're in relationship with a God. We have a God who is consistently loving, consistently patient, consistently good, has a desire to bless us. He is not the author of your sickness or your suffering in life. He is a good father. He is not an abusive father. He is our perfect heavenly father. You see, Jesus' call to follow him is actually an invitation to live by faith, not by the default of sight in the world that we live in. There are two allies that God has given to us to help us to live by faith. One is the Word and the other is the Holy Spirit. The Word produces life in us. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. It's not just the Logos Word, read the Word. It's the Rhema-inspired Word of God that builds faith in us to actually uh, uh, walk by faith. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Bread is something that's natural. You can see it, but the Word of God, you can't necessarily see it straight away, but it forms faith in you that ultimately you will see in your reality. The second ally that God gives us to live by faith, not by sight, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, when He comes, will guide you into all truth, will remind you of the truth of God's Word, will empower us, sanctify us, will guide us and encourage us. How does He do it? He does it by His Word and His presence. So when, when Jesus calls us to follow Him, it's an invitation to not default to our natural response to life when we face sickness and suffering in our lives. It's to actually respond to the kingdom and the pattern of the kingdom that we operate in. Our flesh is hardwired to see before we believe. Well, let me see it first, God, and then I'll believe. But, but that is, uh, uh, that's that comes from the default of your flesh. But when you're born again and your spirit is reborn when you believe in Jesus and confess His Lordship in your life, your spirit is rewired to believe before you see. In the kingdom, we believe first, and then we see. You see, healing power will be seen when we pray in faith in Jesus' name. That's not my opinion, that's the Word of God. Here it says in verse 14 and 15, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church, which is just another name for leaders, and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in what? In the name of the Lord, in Jesus' name. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now it's so important not to have more faith in your prayer than you do in Jesus. Some of us have more faith in our formula of prayer or our formula of faith than we do Jesus. So if I pray at the right decibel, because somehow the sickness is deaf, and if I really yell loud for a long period of time, the sickness will eventually just give in and say, okay, I'm going now, because it's overwhelmed by the loudness of our prayer. Or let's just see how long we can pray and let's tire the sickness out, right? Right? 
Or let's just use certain King James English, these thys and thous, and say things a certain way, because that's how we heard some person on podcasts pray or the preacher pray. Let, let's, let's use a certain formula, and somehow the formula will, you know, perform a magic wand and the sickness will be gone. That's not how it works. Don't have more faith in faith than you do in Jesus. And sometimes the faith message, I'm, I'm a faith preacher, but let me tell you, sometimes we have more faith in faith than we do in the object of our faith, which is Jesus. It's not how you pray, or it's not even uh, just having faith in faith. It's who you put your faith in, Jesus. It's not even how much faith you have, because Jesus said you can have faith as small as a mustard seed, and it will move a mountain. The issue is, who have you put your faith in? Are you putting your faith in yourself? Are you putting your faith in, in, in uh, you know, uh, what simply man says? Or are you putting faith where it, where it can turn into a miracle, which is Jesus? I, I remember a couple of years ago, I was in a, a fitness center and this personal trainer came up to me and he knew that I was a Christian and, and that I was a, a preacher and he came up and had his arm in a sling. And uh, I asked him, what happened to your arm? And he told me, and, and, and he, leaned, he looked around the room, and he looked, leaned into me, and he said, hey, do you think you could do something for my arm? And I was like, is he asking what I think he's asking? I think he's asking what I think he's asking. Uh, and, and he goes, you know, like, do your stuff to my arm. Do your stuff. And I'm like, oh, you want the stuff. So I said, come over here. So we're in the corner of the gym. Looked like we're doing a drug transaction, right? Little did he know he was about to get the Jesus juice right there in that moment. And, and I just put my hand gently on his arm and I said a simple prayer. In the name of Jesus, I command this arm to be healed. Amen. That's as simple as it got. And all of a sudden he goes, my arm's heating up. He goes, my arm's getting hot. He goes, my arm's going numb. He goes, the pain is going. He said, what did you do? I said, I gave you the stuff. You asked for the stuff. I give you the stuff. I'm the delivery boy. I carry the stuff. I give you the stuff if you ask for it. And, and, and days later, I saw him. His arm wasn't in a sling. Within about 10 minutes of that prayer, his arm had no pain in it. And he was walking around, being able to function and do what he does. And whenever I see him, he says, hey, thank you, pastor, for the stuff. And all of a sudden, you realize that it wasn't about simply uh, the prayer formula or doing things a certain way, but it was power that is present in the name of Jesus and someone believing in that. And rather than begging, hoping, and asking, it's commanding. Jesus never asked the disciples, go out and beg and ask. Jesus said to the disciples, I'm sending you out and I'm giving you authority and power to heal the sick, cast out devils, and to preach the gospel in Jesus' name. We're sitting around begging, pleading, hoping when God has given us authority to command that thing to be healed in Jesus' name. Now, does it happen every time? Have I got a 100% track record? No. No, there have been many times where I haven't seen things, and I want to deal with that in just a moment. But I, I want to bring us back to Hebrews 12.2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith. There is power in the name of Jesus. We were singing it today. It was so good when I saw the lyrics of one of these songs that we were singing in worship. Just a confirmation, a reminder again of even what I'm preaching today. There's no power in my name. There's no use me praying in the name of Corey. As amazing as Pastor Andrew is, don't, do not pray in the name of Andrew. That's not going to help you, right? But, well, could. But um, Andrew will tell you could. But, uh, but, but the Word of God says there's power in the name of Jesus. I mean, the Bible says in Philippians 2, 9 and 10, God has bestowed on him the name that's above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus said, if you ask for anything in my name, it will be done. I remember I was in Singapore uh, two years, or maybe a year ago, and I walked through the hotel lobby, bumped into an old friend. And I said, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm here to support my stepmom and my father. My stepmom has stage four cancer and um, she's in Singapore 
uh, she's in Glen Eagles Hospital getting treated. He said to me, what are you doing now? I said, I've got 30 minutes before my next meeting. He said, would you come and pray? We jumped into the car, into the taxi, got to the hospital, walked into a hospital room, pulled out the anointing oil, because how many of us know you've got to be ready at all times, right? So I got that anointing oil out, and, uh, you know, I didn't just do, you know, like a little in the name of the Father, Son. I just poured that whole sucker all over her in Jesus' name. Just pour that whole bottle out. I mean, we're dealing with something serious here. I'm like, I need all the help I can get. So I'm pouring that thing out over her, and we started to pray. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and it was clear that something, the atmosphere in the room was changing. Something was shifting there in that moment. And, and the husband and, and the wife is in the bed and the son is there. And, and we prayed in the name of Jesus. I walked out of that room two weeks later. I'm in Perth preaching and I get a phone call. It's the husband of the lady that I prayed for. He said, where are you? I said, I'm in Perth. He said, we are too. He said, let me tell you a story. He said, uh, a week before you prayed, uh, the doctors conducted seven tests on her lungs. The cancer was in her lungs. Six of the seven tests came back that there was cancer in her body and stage three and four. He said they retested a few days later after you prayed. He said six of the seven tests came back that there was no cancer and that there was only one test that came back that there was cancer, but it was stage two and it was operable and we're in Perth getting prepped for surgery for them to take that uh, tumor out of her body. We want to meet up with you and just thank you so much. And so we met up, and, and, and it was clear that it, 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 there was a miracle taking place, not because someone uh, was super special and super holy and super perfect, but because someone came into a revelation of faith in the name of Jesus and in the power of anointing the sick, as the Bible says, in the name of the Lord. You see, we've got to understand the difference between fact and truth. The facts were she had cancer in her body. That's her reality. This is not some self-help pop psychology where we re-articulate sickness a certain way to, to sort of deny the reality. No, her reality was cancer. Your reality might be a, a disease or a sickness or a condition or something going on in your world. Don't deny your reality. Faith doesn't deny the facts, but faith believes the truth. And the truth is Jesus is our healer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So every one of us are dealing with facts at the moment. It could be relational facts, job facts, financial facts, uh, physical sickness facts. These are facts. We acknowledge them. But the truth is, is that there is an answer. There is a solution. There is healing. There is breakthrough. There is a, a, there, there is a, a miracle on the other side of the fact. You've got to come into agreement with the truth, not agreement with the facts. Some of us are more in agreement with our facts than we are with the truth. And we wonder why nothing changes. Don't partner with the fact, partner with the truth. Acknowledge the fact, but don't live in the fact. In your spirit and in your mind and in your confession, you've got to live in the truth. And as you live in the truth, the truth will overwhelm your fact. So important. Facts change, but truth stays the same. My circumstances change. My health goes up and down. But my truth stays the same. He is my anchor. He stays the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, his ways change because he's dynamic. But his character stays the same. His nature to heal is always staying the same. It's always there. Faith to heal comes by the rhema word. It's not just enough to have the uh, uh, Logos word, because the Logos word is the written word of God. If it was just up to the Logos word, then we could just all sit in a room for the next seven days, read the Bible 24-7, and uh, come out and be all like amazing miracle workers like Smith Wigglesworth and, 
Amy Simple McPherson and all these amazing people. But, but that, that's not how it works. It's not just knowing um, a bunch of information. It's receiving an inspired word by the Holy Spirit for that moment, for that issue, for that circumstance that you need in your life. Faith builds by the rhema word. Secondly, faith builds by obedience. When God speaks, you step out and you obey. And as you obey, you see God's hand move and all of a sudden you start to have faith to believe that what you've just stepped into is not just a one-off occurrence, but is a part of your everyday life. Faith builds also by testimony. You've got to keep your testimonies close. Because if you, let, if you go too far from your testimonies of how God has moved in your past, then when you face another challenge or circumstance, you've got to start the, the wheel up again of faith. All I do is I keep a list of my testimonies constantly on me, on my phone. I just, I'm always putting in testimonies into my phone. Last Sunday, let me give you a freshie. Last Sunday, I'm preaching, and during the preaching of the message, the dude walks up at the end of the service with his family and they're all crying. That's either a good thing or a bad thing. In this case, it was a good thing. And, and he, they're all crying. And he said he has suffered from severe eczema all his life, from head to toe. He goes, during the preaching of the message, he said, I looked down, my eczema had completely gone right across my body in the name of Jesus. Now, all of a sudden, what does that do? They're, they're crying. They can't believe it. And I'm like, believe it because it just happened. I'm like, show me your leg. Show me your arm. Show me where the worst spots on your arms and your legs. And he goes, it's completely gone. His skin was like a baby's bum. I, I, didn't, I didn't have any other phrase, sorry, Pastor Andrew, to say than, than that. But, but his skin was amazing. Why? Because someone came into a revelation of power in the name of Jesus. Now, because I keep that testimony close, you know what that's doing in this room right now? That's building faith for your miracle. That's building faith in me to believe that when we pray for the sick at the end of this service that you're going to get a breakthrough. Now, it's so important that we ask the question, what happens if we pray and nothing happens? Because this is the elephant in the room. And this is often what, you know, faith preachers don't want to talk about. But let's all be real and honest. We've all prayed for something and not seen it happen. And we've all prayed for the sick and maybe not seen it necessarily happen. What happens if we pray and nothing happens. Well, firstly, the most important thing is you've got to guard your heart against offense towards God. If there is a delay in the healing, or if it maybe hasn't worked out the way you expected it to. Now, interestingly, here in James, he says this, if he has committed sins, he will be... Hang on a sec, James. I thought we're talking about healing. I thought we're talking about the prayer of faith. We're not talking about sins. What do you mean you'd start and bring the issue? We're talking about salvation now. What, what do you mean? If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And then it says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, hello, that you may be healed. Now, interesting, what does James do? He draws this connection between Sin and sickness, forgiveness and healing. This is so important. Psalm 103 verse 2 to 3 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives what? All of your iniquity, which is another word for sin, and heals all of your diseases. What is he talking about? He's talking about the atonement. What Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Jesus' death, Jesus' burial, and Jesus' resurrection. Sickness is to your body what sin is to your soul. And the atonement, what Jesus Christ has done for us, provides healing for both. That's why Peter says, by his stripes... We are healed. It's twofold. You study that. It's speaking of two things. Spiritual healing, physical healing. 
When you get saved, it's not just your spirit that's saved. You enter into a lifestyle of restoration, redemption, and salvation in every area of your life. This is total life transformation. Now, uh, is, is there appointed once for man to die? Yes. They're, they're, we're all going to taste death at some point. I'm believing for an Enoch or an Elijah experience personally. But all I'm saying is, uh, if we don't get carried up in chariots of fire and horsemen, we all physically will taste death at some point in this life. However, there are some people that die before their time. There are some people that pass from this life to the next before their time. And what I'm believing for and what I'm praying for us here today is that we will live a life full and length of days, fulfilling the purposes of God for our lives, having energy and health in our body. God is committed to our our health. Are you as committed to your health as he is to yours? Because there is a role of stewardship that we play in the natural, but there is also a role spiritually that we contend for and believe for. Now, the sin of unforgiveness and offense is the number one sin, I have studied and observed this for many years, that can hinder healing in your life. I was preaching in Makassar, Indonesia last year, the end of the service, pastor takes me out the back to minister to a couple. The husband of this couple had been manifesting symptoms of sickness and demonic oppression for many years. They wanted me to pray for them. But before I pray, sometimes I ask questions. Uh, Sometimes God reveals through the prayer. Sometimes you just need to do a fact-finding mission. You need to ask some questions. And I said, how long has this been happening? Eight years. I said, what happened eight years ago that prompted this thing to start happening. They said, well, eight years ago, a family member um, uh, hurt us significantly, particularly the husband, and, uh, and brought shame to him. And in that culture, and particularly business, and it involved money and all sorts of things, basically ruined his livelihood, his future financial prospects. And in that culture, it's a significant thing. And I said, hey, uh, what happened? And the wife said, who was, who was basically trying to translate for me, the wife said that he became bitter and angry towards that person. And then a few weeks later, the symptoms of sickness and oppression started to, and he just act strange for eight years. I said, have you, I said, I looked at the man, I said, have you forgiven that person who did this to you? He sort of sheepishly sort of nodded his head. His wife was like, you know, so much that I thought the head was going to come off, right? Your spouse will always tell the truth. And so uh, uh, I'm there and I'm like, hey, I'm believing today that you're going to get breakthrough. But until you actually forgive your literal brother what has happened, this is going to hinder your healing. We started to pray we started to uh, uh, ask him to lead him through a prayer of forgiveness. And all of a sudden, there started to be a breakthrough in this man's life. And he started to get set free of this demonic stronghold in his life. And to this day, I've heard that he's like a new man in his life. Now, you've got to understand, the number one doorway for um, uh, spiritual warfare or or for opening up our hearts to the demonic realm in the church, not in the world, in the church, is unresolved offense towards God. And unresolved offense towards people. It could hinder your breakthrough in healing. Now, offense towards God begins with the question, why them and not me? Why their healing and not mine? Why their blessing and not mine? Why their promotion and not mine? Why do they get that and not me? The moment we start to compare and do that, can I tell you, comparison is the most dangerous thing that you can tolerate or entertain in your life. How come them and not me? The moment you do that, you're opening your heart up towards offense. Now, last year, Mother's Day weekend, my 59-year-old mother passed away after a long battle, 20 years with a lung disease, 59 years of age. My mum's an evangelist, my mum's a pastor, led thousands of people to the Lord. 
a mighty woman of God, prayed, anointed with oil for 20 years, believed in faith, did all that, but deteriorated over a long period of time. Now, admittedly, she did not look after herself over those 20 years like she should have and like doctors were asking her to. That contributed to it. But also, it's, it's clear that she died before her time. However, having said that, when I walked into her hospital room after she died, I, I had every reason to get offended towards God. Every reason to get offended at people who'd prayed, da, da, da. But, but I had to make a decision. I'm not going to let the, my, my lack of results here in this situation form my theology about who God is. This is so important. There is a mystery to healing. There is a mystery to the kingdom of God that we're not going to fully understand outside of the sovereignty of God or outside of this side of eternity. But this I know, developing a theology about God, which is the way we think and talk about God, developing an idea about God based upon a lack of results produces powerless Christianity. And many of us have formed a view about God based upon our experience alone and not based upon what the Bible teaches about what the Word of God says. In Matthew chapter 8, when a leper comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, if you are willing, let me be clean. Now, what is he saying? He's saying, Jesus, I believe that you have power to cleanse me and to heal me. I believe that you've got the ability to. I'm just not sure that's your nature to. If you are willing. And what does Jesus say? I am willing. Be clean. Because it's always in God's nature to heal. It's always in God's heart to heal. God is always able to heal. Some of you might be shocked at this statement, but it's true. 100% of the people that Jesus ministered to in the Gospels always got healed. I'm not saying every person in Israel who was sick got healed. I'm saying every person that Jesus ministered to that we read in the Gospels Prove me wrong. Go through the Gospels. I studied it. Go through the Gospels and look at it. Every single one got healed because Jesus is always able to heal. If there is a lack in our lives, the lack is never on God's end. The lack is on ours. And if the lack is on ours, we can't blame God, blame the church, blame the pastors. We've got to go back and examine our own hearts and not even blame ourselves and just come to God and say, God, what's going on with that? Why could we not? Case in point, when the father brought his tormented son to Jesus and firstly to the disciples and said to Jesus after the disciples could not heal the boy. The disciples came to Jesus after the fact and said, why could we not cast the demon out? Why could we not heal the boy? They didn't come to Jesus and say, what's wrong with you, Jesus? How come you didn't heal the boy? How come you could? Do you, do you hear where I'm going here? The lack was never on Jesus' end. And I am passionate about this because I'm so sick of believers blaming God in all of his perfection, in all of his goodness, in all of his brilliance for things that's not his responsibility. He's always good. He's always ready to heal. He's always ready to show love. He's always patient. He's always long-suffering. Who do we think we are? It is the height of pride for us to look at an almighty, all-creating God and get angry at Him because of our lack in that moment. It is the height of pride and arrogance. Who are we? Who do we think? Well, I love what God said to Job. Where were you when I formed the galaxies? Where were you when I formed the universe? You know, the heart of the prophetic is to present to the world a brilliant, perfect idea of who God is. We have got to elevate our view of who God is according to the Word of God, not based just upon our lack. Isn't it interesting that James said it's the prayer of faith that heals the sick, not the faith of the sick person? Don't blame the sick person. Whenever there's a lack, I never blame the sick person. I come back and say, God, 
Where's my faith at? The responsibility of faith is on the prayer, not the prayee. We get mad at people because, and, and we want to blame people to justify our lack of power. What did Jesus say to the disciples when they said, why could we not cast it out? He said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. What's he saying? He's saying, you guys lack power to cast out this devil. But if you pay the price and commit to a lifestyle of prayer and fasting, you too can grow in power to be able to deal with the challenges and the issues that you face. Now, I'm going to finish in a moment, so relax. I know that this air's been sucked out of the room. It's all okay. <laughs> healing power, healing power is not based on my perfection or your perfection. Aren't you glad about that today? My breakthrough is not based upon my perfection because if it was, we'd be in trouble. Healing power is based upon our faith in the goodness and grace of God's love. James says this. He says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, can we just all agree today, the prophet Elijah, for those of us who hung around the Bible for any length of time, and if you're new to the Bible, then let me just give you a short little sort of picture of Elijah. Elijah was a heavyweight in the kingdom. Elijah was the one who pointed at King Ahab and said, but by my word there shall be no rain in Israel except for uh, me to prophesy it. And there was no rain. You've got to be like, have some spiritual clout to be able to point at someone, particularly the king, and let them know, I control the weather patterns. Can we just agree, this guy's a heavy weight in the kingdom of God. Not only that, but he gets fed by ravens at Brook Kidron. I don't know the last time you had a seagull come and just drop a chip your way. Generally, they suck the chips out of your hand. But this dude has ravens, even creation, coming at the word of the Lord and, and, and feeding him and looking after him. Not only that, he goes to the widow at Zarephath and the widow's jug of oil and jar of flour does not go empty, even though there were scraps in it except by the word of the Lord until the famine was over. Then he's on Mount Carmel. He calls down fire upon the sacrifice. Literal fire comes from heaven, consumes the sacrifice. God answers his prayer. And not only that, the dude doesn't taste death. He gets teleported to heaven by chariots of fire and horsemen. Can we all just agree, Elijah is a bad dude. You do not mess with Elijah, right? And yet, what does James say? James says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, don't postpone your prayers for breakthrough until you've reached a state of perfection or somehow self-attain righteousness. James says, we already are the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done on the cross. We already carry a righteousness because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we have done. And so because we already are the righteousness of God, we can pray and expect that our prayers will be met with supernatural results. That we will actually see breakthroughs in our life. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, can God heal sovereignly? Yes, he does. And I've seen it, been a part of it. But what he often does is he limits his power to partnership with our prayer and faith. Why? Because he's committed to covenant relationship. He's committed to partnership between heaven and earth. Can he just sovereignly move today and all of our financial troubles, all of our sickness troubles, all of our, oh, everything just get resolved in just one foul swoop? Yep. But what he often does, he's not just committed to being a miracle worker in our lives, he's committed to a relationship. 
People say, why don't we see more burning bushes and Red Sea partings and all that sort of thing? Because back then, he did not dwell in man. He had to get man's attention in order to show who he was. But guess what? We're under the new covenant. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. The God who parted the Red Sea is alive in you. The God who was speaking in the form of the burning bush is alive in you. He doesn't need to show you a burning bush. He doesn't need to part the Red Sea. He doesn't need to remove Mount Clear. He already is inside of you. What he wants is a relationship where he guides you and he instructs you and we hear his voice and we obey and we see the fruit and demonstration of the kingdom of God in our lives. All I know is faith-fueled, persistent prayer brings supernatural results. I heard about John Wimber. He prayed for a thousand people before one person got healed, testimony of healing. Some of us have prayed for like two people, didn't get healed, and we're like, we quit. Am I right or am I right? Well, like, I'm out of it, that's it, doesn't work. I tithed once, it didn't work, I'm not tithing again. That's just, that is irrational. It's like, you know, I, I invited my unsafe friend to church once, they rejected me, I'm never witnessing again, I'm never inviting anyone again. No, 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 no. One of, the, one of the dimensions of faith is persistence and patience. In fact, one of the greatest evidences of our faith is patience. It's through faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. We leave that last bit. Don't you hate patience? Is anyone like me and just hate patience? Right, I'm just the only unholy, unspiritual one in the room who's prepared to be honest and say, I hate patience. Uh, I'm an impatient person, but you know, I've just come to learn. You will not mature into the greater works that God has for you if you're impatient. Patient is connected to faith. And as you just press forward and contend, watch what God does. Uh, I just want to say to you today, if you need to receive prayer uh, for healing today, please don't, don't come up and tell the prayer all about the problem. When I minister on a prayer line, um, sometimes when I minister to people out of the goodness of their hearts and out of the desperation of their hearts, they want to tell you all about the problem. And what I just say is, um, whenever you receive prayer, don't try and get the person to buy into your problem. Because this is what I've learned. Out of a desire for sympathy, we try and, and get the person to partner with our problem. And we think that Christian sympathy brings the supernatural result. Sympathy never brought healing to anyone. Compassion precedes the miraculous. Matthew 14, 14, when Jesus saw them helpless like sheep without a shepherd, he was moved with compassion and then what? And then he healed their sick. And out of a desire to think that we're loving people, we want to be sympathetic. Oh, it's so bad. Oh, it really is so bad. And what we're doing is we're partnering with the problem. Never allow the problem to become greater than the solution of Jesus. My, my, my sister's in and out of prison, drug addiction, a major billion-dollar ice ring in Melbourne right now and has been for years. That's a big problem. But you know, every day I don't come to Jesus begging and weeping and gnashing of teeth saying, oh, Jesus is so bad. Do you know it's so bad? It's not like I'm giving Jesus a memo. Like Jesus there going, yeah, I didn't know about that. It really is bad, isn't it? He knows all things. He knows what I'm going to ask before I even come to him. What he wants is someone with faith to say, yep, Lord, the facts are, but you know what? I'm partnering with the truth. You're the healer. You're the restorer. You're the saviour. And today, if you're praying with someone, I want to encourage you, don't partner with the problem, partner with the solution. Because I believe that God wants to create uh, a zone in this church and a zone in your life, in, in Mount Clear, Ballarat and beyond, where you carry the miracle working power of God wherever you go. How do I know that? Because the Bible says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. I'm literally carrying heaven with me wherever I go. I'm living from heaven to earth, not from earth to heaven. I, I, I'm not here saying, God, I'm pulling you down. I'm just pu- I'm pulling the strongholds down. I'm pulling you down. I'm, no, no, no. I'm saying, God, uh, let heaven break out. 
heaven's in me, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. I can believe for healing to come in sick people's bodies. I want to invite you to stand with me today. And I would love the worship team to just come up on stage. I want to invite you just to close your eyes for a moment. Father, I just pray right now that you would make us more aware of your goodness and your grace and your love. You are exceedingly good. You're long-suffering. You're amazingly patient with us. And we approach you today out of grateful hearts. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us a covenant of salvation that provides healing for sin and healing for sickness. And today in this room, I ask, even as I've been preaching and even in this moment, let there be, I release an outbreak of a spirit of faith for healing in this room right now. Let faith arise in every heart, in every family for healing in the name of Jesus today. God, I pray that we would not allow offence and bitterness to steal our miracle today, to steal our breakthrough. And right now in this room, I just want to lead you through a prayer of just asking God for forgiveness. If, if you're carrying offence in your heart towards God, towards people, towards the church, I want to encourage you just to, to ask God right now for forgiveness for that. Just let it go. It's too expensive to hold on to any longer. You don't need that. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't let the pain of your past steal the blessing of your present and of your future. And Father, right now I ask that you'd forgive us, Lord, for our own stubbornness at times, our own bitterness and, and, and offence towards people and towards your church and towards you as to why certain things didn't happen or why, why, did, why something happened in our life that, that we didn't want to have happen and we've harboured bitterness and offence towards that issue or towards that person or towards you. God, right now I pray, Lord, let forgiveness just be poured out. Lord, let, let, us, let a wave of your love be received and released in our spirit right now. Let your peace that passes all understanding come and guard our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. Let anxiety dissipate. Let worry and fear disappear. And let love, peace, joy, grace flood our hearts, oh God. God, we come to you today and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. I just sense even as I'm praying here now, if, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of sin, become Lord of your life, or maybe you once did, but you're far away from God and today you want to rededicate your life back to Jesus. I want to pray with you right where you're at. Would you let me know who that is today? If that's you and say, I want to make a declaration of faith. I, I need Jesus to be my Lord and Saviour. I need to rededicate my life back to God or, or ask Jesus to forgive me for the very first time. I want you to raise your hand up in the air right now so I can see. Thank you so much. Is there anyone else today? Thank you over here on my left. Thank you over here. Thank you. Is there anyone else today say, yep, I want to make that decision today and join with others here in making this declaration. We're going to pray together. Is there anyone else today? Thank you. Just over here. Awesome. Thank you. Up the back. Fantastic. Anyone else today say, yep, I'm coming back to Jesus. Thank you right here in the middle. I want to rededicate my life back to God. I want to ask Jesus to save me. Whichever one you are right now, 
I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer after me to mean it from your heart. We're all going to join in faith, a common union. We're all going to join in prayer right now. Would you pray after me? Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace and thank you for your love. I believe you are the Son of God. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sin, to wash me clean and live in my heart. I want to follow you all the days of my life. Fill me with your spirit and empower me to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. What I'm going to invite you to do right now is I'm actually going to invite some of the leaders to come forward of the church.